0: Shots Podcast. It's episode 116. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, I'm joined by the man from the jungle himself, Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. The
1: man from the jungle himself is here to dig into adventure, to dig into the landscape of business, and more importantly, to learn from some incredible entrepreneurs and innovators. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great.
0: I loved uh, the change up, the pivot that we did with Tom Brady. I thought that was like a nice bounce off the uh, Ryan Holiday series. So much, so very much to learn from Tom. But I tell you what, I think today we're in for a real treat. We got someone who's got a little bit of Tom, a little bit of Ryan Holiday, and some really unique thinking themselves, Mark. Who are we
1: going to study today? Today is a pretty unique moment, actually, Mike, because we're going to be digging in, actually, for the third time, into the teachings and the entrepreneurial leadership style of Mr. Jeff Bezos. He's recently changed the landscape by, once again, creating a unique, newsworthy moment. He's actually stepped down, or he will be soon, stepping down as CEO of Amazon, and what a perfect moment, Mike, for us to not only reflect on what he's done with Amazon, but also how he's shaped a lot of the ecosystems around the business itself.
0: Totally. I don't think we, we could research for weeks and still not quite make a good enough case for the impact of Jeff. I think um, before we celebrate all the good things, I think we should acknowledge that he ain't perfect. Um, I think certainly the conditions in some of the distribution centers has really come under criticism. I think that, do you remember, Mark, they did that thing where they were trying to find a second headquarters and uh, it was a bit of a shambles and they they chose New York and then New York said, we don't want you. (laughs) That was all a little bit. Off, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. It, again, it was. It was pretty unique because that wouldn't normally necessarily be a newsworthy element, is it? You know, I think mm. what was so pivotal when that came out was the city, NYC. I mm. thinking, okay, great. Well, these are jobs. This is a huge, well-known business. This is a significant, you know, almost investment by a, a Silicon Valley. Um, globally renowned business believing in our city. And it's, it's strange when you kind of step back from the day-to-day of that and think, wow, it's, he's created a, a platform, a business that's so pivotal in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. We kind of don't really notice it. You're right. You're right. And
0: I, I think w- where I was going is like, I do want to acknowledge that You know, there are things that Amazon and Jeff could have done better. But that being said, look, if you're not upsetting people, then you're obviously not trying hard enough, right? (laughs) So I think what we would like to do on this show is to really dig into some of the things that Jeff does that have created his success and the impact that he's had on the world. And I think we're in for a real treat because let me make the case to you, Mark, and to all of our listeners I think we're often very familiar with what Jeff and Amazon have done on the outside. Uh, They've revolutionized the way we shop. They're incredibly customer centric. But what I would propose is that they did some amazing things. They took something like hosting, which is a huge cost and a huge problem, and they turned it into another company. That's AWS. That started out as an internal service inside of Amazon has become, I mean, if you were to take AWS, their web services businesses, and spin it out, it would be a massive company all on its own. The point here is I think we underestimate a little bit some of the things on the real inside, some of the practices that both Jeff and his teams do. And what the great news is, is we have decoded, we've researched those, and we've pulled them all together into an absolute Bezos extrav. A ganza, Mark, and uh, I want you to throw us. Let's leap into the world of Jeff Bezos. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, I think what a, a fantastic moment to reflect on Jeff Bezos's impact in in the world, uh, as as well as uh, Amazon itself and AWS is to actually hear from um, one of our other um, favorite content creators, Mike. Uh, Mr. Scott Galloway, a.k.a. Professor G. He's got a great clip here, and this is a fantastic intro, I think, to the show 116 on Jeff Bezos, where we dig into those accomplishments and how radical and influential they were. So this first clip, Mike, that I want to hear from with Mr. Professor G is how it was never about books. (laughs)
2: Today we want to recognize the accomplishments of an extraordinary entrepreneur and business mind. In a capitalist society, improvements in our standard of living are in large part a function of the progress that private companies make. And in the history of capitalism, which by the way is by far the best system in the world, few people have been a greater catalyst for progress and change, positive change in the private sector than Jeff Bezos. Last week Bezos announced he would step down as Amazon CEO, bringing a graceful close to what will go down as one of the greatest business legacies we have ever witnessed. What Bezos has achieved is simply put unprecedented. Taking a firm from zero to $1.6 trillion in market capitalization, turning cost centers, including product fulfillment, technology, and content that at one point represented over 90% of revenues into new business lines, including Amazon Web Services, Amazon Basics, Amazon Publishing, and Amazon Fulfillment. Think about that, take your biggest costs and turn them into enormous businesses. Talk about a jujitsu move for the ages. Three, establishing a monogamous relationship with 82% of U.S. households. Nobody in history has accomplished any of those things, let alone all three. Over the past 12 months, Amazon hired over half a million people. They have become, in their 27-year history, the second-largest employer in America. Bezos is also responsible for one of the biggest pay hikes of all time, from as low as $10 in some locations to $15 nationwide. Over a quarter of a million full-time Amazon employees and another 100,000 seasonal workers benefited. And even more workers benefited by following or being forced to follow Amazon. In sum, Jeff Bezos may be responsible for the biggest one-day raise of the American workforce in history. Bezos was both a dreamer and deliverer of grand visions. The most trusted brand in the world, Amazon. What is a brand? One part promise, one part performance. In his Precient Investor Letter of 1997, Bezos articulated his relentless focus on his customers and what he knew from day one, but what took many of us years to realize, it was never about books.
0: <sighs> when he, when Professor G just lets loose with that series of, of accomplishments, it's like the one, two, three, four punch. You're just like, and that, and that, and that. I think, um, I think the the scale of the success really is seen in that. Amazon, the second biggest employer in America, decided to raise the salaries of its warehouse workers up to $15. This is now, we're now two years on from that, and Congress still has not passed the same legislation. So I think that this has actually been followed by many other companies. I, I believe even Walmart included have increased, maybe not to the same extent, but have followed. Uh, the Amazon lead here. And I really think, Mark, what I would propose to you is that apart from doing good work and working hard, the fact that what Jeff and Amazon have done has made other companies follow. They've raised the bar on how we should treat customers and in some cases, employees. I would always step back and just go, wow, that's legacy. To leave uh, an impact where not only the work you did, but the knock-on effect of your work made people improve themselves to improve conditions for others. To me, this is, is truly remarkable. And to think, Mark, he's done all of this and scaled it to a $1.6 trillion of value in a lifetime. I mean, this is what the old oil magnates did in families in generations. Um, he has done this in a relatively short amount of time, hasn't he?
1: Well, yeah, I'd say it's, I'd argue it's even less than a lifetime. You know, he's, mm. he's done this in, I suppose, just the first half of his career. You know, if he's stepping down as CEO now, there are going to be moments. We, we're going to keep on hearing about Jeff Bezos, Mike. I think he's going to go on to, to do even more great stuff. Yes, yeah, So
0: it's fascinating to think like he's obviously going to dabble in the space game. So He'll be toe-to-toe. I mean, can you imagine how exciting to see Bezos and Musk kind of innovating it out? Like who can send out the most rockets? Who can go the furthest into the stratosphere and beyond? Um, What exciting times we live in, Mark, and what we've got ahead of us in this show is um, essentially two parts to the show. The first part being more about innovation and the externalities around the things that Jeff has done and the, the accomplishments of Amazon and some really good stuff to think about how to push up against convention, how to be a little bit contrarian and independent and bold thinker. But then on the second half, we're going to get into some of the practices, uh, really practical stuff that you can do on the inside of an organization in order to get the most out of a team to for people to really perform at a high level. So we've got so much ahead of us. I'm really looking forward to pulling these things apart and asking ourselves the question, hey, how could we do a little bit of Jeff, um, which is pretty exciting. So I think it's now that we need to turn our, our minds to some of the greatest challenges that we have in building a company. So where do you want to start, Mark?
1: Well, I think the perfect little reflection so as I've mentioned we've this is actually technically Mike our third time of visiting mm. Mr. Bezos, and it does feel like the perfect moment, particularly as we're in our leadership series. We've just completed Mr Tom Brady he was very very uh another great record setter, shall I say, mm. you know, much like the one point six trillion dollar worth as well as um spinning out different business. Uh, logistics as new businesses themselves, and actually by creating um, the most trusted brand in the world. You know this is this is the accomplishments of the records that he set. Last week we were hearing about how Tom Brady is is doing this incredible work with record setting himself, but more specifically on the, the teams and in sport. This one, uh, this first section, as you've already called out, is about building a company, building the, uh, the legacy, should we say? So I want to hear from Jeff himself and actually go, I went back into the library of clips that we've we visited before. Hang on,
0: Mark. Did you go into the Moonshots library? Is this true? What's I, it look like?
1: I did. And you know what's really exciting? Later in today's show, our listeners will find out where they can go Oh, oh. listen to a particular show. So we're going to give them access to the library too? We're going to give them the keys to the kingdom. Okay. Cool. And I invite all of our listeners to pop back into Moonshot's history and check out some of our earlier shows as well. But this particular clip, Mike, I, I really, really wanted to, to hear again because it's such a great demonstration of Jeff Bezos as a fantastic leader. So, this first clip we're going to hear in this section is Jeff Bezos telling us
3: that we should all be willing to fail. One of my jobs as the leader of Amazon is to encourage people. To be bold. And people love to focus on things that aren't yet working. Um, And that's good, it's human nature. That kind of divine discontent can be very helpful. But uh, you really, you know, it's incredibly hard to get people to take bold bets. And you need to encourage that. And if you're going to take bold bets, they're going to be experiments. And if they're experiments, you don't know ahead of time whether they're going to work. Experiments uh, are by their very nature. Uh, prone to failure. But big successes, a few big successes, compensate for dozens and dozens of things that didn't work. So, you know, bold bets AWS, Kindle, Amazon Prime, our third party seller business, all of those things are examples of bold bets that, uh, that, that did work. And they pay for a lot of experiments. I've made billions of dollars of failures at Amazon.com, literally billions of dollars of failures. And uh, uh, you know you might remember Pets.com or Cosmo or you know, you know give myself a root canal with no anesthesia very easily. Uh, none of those things are fun, but they, but they also they don't matter. What really matters is companies that don't continue to experiment, companies that don't embrace failure. They eventually get in a desperate position where they, the only thing they can do is make a kind of Hail Mary bet at the very end of their corporate existence. Whereas companies that are, you know, uh, making bets all along, even, you know, big bets, but not bet the company bets. I don't, I don't believe in bet the company bets. That's when you're desperate. That's, that's the last thing you can do.
0: I love this clip because what he basically says, if you're not constantly experimenting Therefore, having some wins, some losses, some failures, you are on the path to extinction. And then he talks about that classic thing where you see uh, companies buy other companies as the hope that that will kind of change everything. Um, it's like the last gasp. It's, it's the last play. It's the final shot. The buzz is counting down, and they've realized they've been out innovated and they can no longer catch up, so they try some sort of catapult move. To me, Mark, this is a, a such a timely reminder that we've always got to have experiments and lots of them and be prepared that they will not only win but they will also lose, that they won't turn out how we might wish. And, you know, Mark, I wanted to ask you, I think we're all, you know, fairly excited about the notion of experimentation, but how do we get over that? That dread of failure. I mean, so often companies just seem to be allergic to failure. Yet, what we hear is that Jeff's like, "Oh man, I, I, I've blown billions <laughs> in bad decisions." But you know, we we make some good ones and some bad ones. How do we get over that? That the gloom of failure, the curse of failure, the, the dread of failure. What advice would you give to all of our listeners if they're thinking of doing something a little different, an experiment, as Jeff would say? How do, how do we get people over the hump
1: yeah it's it's quite liberating to hear Jeff state that he lost billions of dollars, isn't it? Right. It kind of makes me feel better I think the the hardest thing that we can do is embrace that uncertainty that comes with the unknown hmm. you know the idea of either stepping out of a job that you've been doing for a while or creating a product or business in a, in a space that you've always dreamed of, but you haven't yet proved. Mm. It's because you're uncertain about it and therefore you're going to uh, have all of those anxious feelings. And I think for, from a business perspective, what Jeff's really saying here is you've got to innovate, otherwise you're going to plateau. Yeah. And and I think what's really empowering about that clip and why it's such a great one to revisit is because it's it's reminding us, hey, don't rest on your laurels. Constantly be trying to push the boundaries and create either better products or maybe better teams. Keep on learning, always be curious. And Yeah, let's let, let's though, let's go back to what I was talking
0: about for a moment, because I think a lot of people don't experiment because of their fear. Mm. And uh, I think we can really um, help each other, help our listeners if we sort of break that down. So let me pitch to you a little model that we might be able to use and let's see if we can work on it together. My thinking is here, I think we have the habit of when we try something new, that we try and make it too complete. We try and make it. Really polished and fantastic. Okay. And that often takes a lot of time. So, by the time we actually kind of get it out there to see if it's going to work, it's almost like a finished product. And I think if we make our experiments smaller, quicker, and don't hold them as like perfect showcases, but rough experiments, drafts, pilot projects, concept. Uh, designs and do them quickly, then the stakes of if it doesn't work out are not nearly as great, are they? No. If you spend right. like, like, let's say you spend six weeks working on an idea for an app, and you make some prototypes in uh, Figma or, or Sketch or something, and then you go out and show it to a bunch of people, versus you take six months, you get a developer, you spend all this time and money and you get the same negative result, right? One's on a prototype you did for six weeks. One's on a huge effort of six months. Like which one do you choose for?
1: Yeah. And how many individuals have approached you or me or maybe our listeners and said, hey, I've got this great business idea. Okay. Well, what are the, what are the potential users think? What are the target audience think? have you tested it? Have you done any research? Invariably, Mike, the answer is no. Yeah, There's a subjectivity that's driving a lot of business leaders to create for the sake of creating. When you're right, you know, doing something, even on a post-it note, like you and I have done in the past, Mm -hmm. where you collaborate with that target audience and and ask them, Hey, is this it? Mm. You know, you can, you can do it in, I'd argue you could even do it in six minutes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty extreme. That's some good prototyping. That's Mark. some
2: rapid prototyping. Yeah.
0: Um, but, you know, look, I'll take it a different way. Let's say someone comes to to you, Mark, and says, hey, Mark, uh, I want you to join my new startup. And you're like, mm, well, this feels like a big risk, right? Mm. It's uncertain. How much funding have you got? You know, is this idea any good? or whether they're from a a big corporate, it doesn't really matter. The point here is what you can also do is you can make the experiment much smaller by saying, hey, you know what? I'm interested. Uh, I'd like to get to know you more. Why don't we just work on a little side project on our weekends and see how we find working with each other? That way you get to road test me and uh, the same for myself. I can kind of kick the tires and check you out. The point here is you didn't have to make this massive leap, but you could just do a little experiment in the same way you didn't have to build the app for six months, make a prototype in six weeks. And I think here, this is a great way to construct yourself to be failure ready because frankly, you know, a prototype of six weeks, eh, it didn't work or, Hey, it didn't work, but you know what we learned? We actually found out what people really need. So let's go make another one for six weeks. Still then, you're two rounds in and you're only half the time of the six months, right?
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And I think that we we make the habit of setting these overly ambitious goals. We take two bigger jumps and it really uh, damages how we feel about our risk appetite, our desire to embrace failure because we made the stakes too high so by pulling them back and just saying what's some low fidelity experiments that we can conduct that would give us a sense of whether this idea would work it's a great way of getting more comfortable with failure and i think the big lesson here mark that we're all getting is that it is a natural course to creating amazon is making mistakes it is not some serene, zen-like win after win after win. Jeff is teaching us here actually failure. If you're failing, you actually know you're doing the right stuff because you're kind of pushing boundaries, you're trying new things. And this is really important, I, I think, if we can get comfortable with failure, if we can take this on board, we know Jeff does it, so if we can make the risk smaller, with this kind of low fidelity tests, whether it's a personal relationship or an app, it doesn't matter. I think this is a great way for us to think differently about risk and failure and to set ourselves on a trajectory for a much more richer journey, a much longer journey where we can enjoy some of the success that someone like
1: Jeff Bezos has. What do you think? I I couldn't put it better myself. Let's put out a prototype. Let's hear what the users or the company or the teammates think gather that feedback and make the most of that ex- example in the long term. Now, Mike, it's kind of perfect because this next clip we've got is really Jeff telling us about the value of playing with this in mind. It's all about, in his mind, how, and, and actually, Mike, you know this a little bit better than I do. I'm, I'm not going to take the uh, take the mantle too much. But this next clip that we've got, is a really great example of Jeff Bezos being this trailblazing leader, going up against arguably Wall Street and calling out that he wants to be in the space to be weighed in the long term. So this next clip is all about Jeff saying how we should play the long game. So I have been a shareholder for a long, long time, incredibly happy, wrote it up in the bubble, wrote it all the way down hung out for those seven lean years and then suddenly it takes off like a rocket ship. Very much believer in the long term, the investment cycle, the big bets, all that stuff. Even I, last quarter, had a little bit of a gulp when I saw the fact that you were not just breaking even anymore, but losing a boatload of money, and in fact, way more than you even said you were going to lose, which I thought was sandbagging,
2: or oh, they just said they're going to lose, and they're going to come in with a profit, and the stock's going to soar. It was worse than you said. So when do you begin to say, okay, that's it, We've got to rein it in a little bit?
3: Where's this part where you're extra nice to me because I'm an investor and <laughs> in the company? Is that, is that coming? I'm, I want to sh- I'm, stay asking, around. I'm asking I, as a shareholder. I, um, look. Um, we would all love all of our numbers to be smooth lines up and to the right, and uh, that would be terrific. But that's not how it works. You know, um, you know, the, those numbers are are output measures, and you, I mean, I guess you could try to manage your quarterly earnings very precisely, but I, I think personally that would be a mistake. You know, most of the work that we put into um, any particular quarter happened years ago. So it's not you know there there aren't that many knobs you can turn during a quarter I mean you can, but they're very they're like eating your seed corn if you turn those knobs you don't want to do that and so uh, it's it's uh, uh, I, you know people uh, I think if you focus on the controllable inputs to your business instead of the outputs, in the long term you get better results so the the Benjamin Graham quote here is that in the short term the stock market is a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And I think people are well advised to build a company that wants to be weighed and not voted upon.
0: Oh, my gosh. This is another great clip, Mark. I am so glad that we've got the chance to talk about this one because this really speaks to how powerful his mental models are. And I think the real lesson for our listeners is that we should have our, you know, First principles, our key thoughts about how we see the world, how business should be done, how we should work with each other, and they should be kind of irrefutable. So, let me give you some context to this clip and explain why it's so incisive. So, in 1997, when Amazon listed, Jeff wrote a letter to investors and he basically said, if you want cheap, quick profits, Amazon is not the place for you. If you want to play the quarterly earnings game, Amazon is not for you. He said, rather, we're going to play this long-term. And at the time, there was no other CEO telling Wall Street this is how it's going to be. In fact, what you often see is that most CEOs are beholden To the expect, they talk about quarterly expectations, Mark. What are the quarterly expectations? You know, you heard the interviewer there saying, Oh, I just thought you guys were sandbagging, saying you'd have more costs than you thought, and then you'd come in and it would be higher, get a pop on the stock. And Jeff's like, No, we don't play that game. So we talk about first principles a lot, and this is where Jeff and, and Elon are very similar. And I actually want to take all of our listeners back to 1997 and read to you what Jeff told Wall Street. And the reason this is so important to enjoy, to digest, is this is a man who is very clear in his thinking and his convictions. And I think this is so inspiring, so in, uh, really informative to see that he wrote this back in 97. So let me read to you what Jeff Bezos wrote to his Uh, shareholders and wrote to wall street and i quote we believe that a fundamental measure of our success will be the shareholder value we create over the long term this value will be a direct result of our ability to extend and solidify our current market leadership position the stronger our market leadership the more powerful our economic model now i'm just going to pause there he already understood what is famously called the Amazon flywheel effect. He understood already in 97, just as a bookstore, that as they scaled, the network effects of their business would would extend. I mean, this is so, I mean, the foresight that he is showing back in 97 years off the charts. But let's keep going and hear what else he's got to say. Because of our emphasis on the long term, we may make, decisions and weigh trade-offs differently than some companies. We will continue to make the investment decisions in light of the long-term market leadership considerations rather than the short-term profitability considerations or short-term Wall Street reactions. We aren't so bold as to claim that the above is the right investment philosophy, but it's ours. And we would be remiss if we weren't clear in the approach we have taken and will continue to take. Boom, bam, take that Wall Street. You are not messing with me. Remember, Wall Street's just a little dot-com back in 97. It's like nothing like it is now. Yet he had the power of his convictions. He had his first principles. Long-term, Mark. Thinking long-term. How inspiring. I mean, obviously... The biggest lift I can do here is Simon Sinek, huh? His latest book, right? He talks about the infinite game. He talks about legacy. What is what we can draw from both Sinek and Bezos here is we want to be weighed on the value we create, not voted on the short-term decisions of today or the short-term wins of today. I think this is brilliance, right here. What do you think, Mark?
1: Yeah, it's. I think whether it's a lesson that our listeners as well as myself take to inspire us around um, businesses or, or products that we're building. I think it's also totally true when we turn inwards as well, Mike, you know, coming off the back of the Ron Hoddle Day series where he was telling us it's about, you know, reflection and, and trying to get yourself into uh, not reacting in that short-term element but thinking about the long-term and seeing obstacles as opportunities. I think this is a is a great demonstration of Jeff Bezos doing the same thing. Obviously, mm. in this case, his obstacle was returns. It was perhaps even Wall Street. But what he's calling out here, and I really, really love just that end of the, the piece that you were reading out, we aren't so bold as to claim it's the right investment approach. That awareness, oh, yeah. say, hey, look, I might not be able to do it. But because I'm going to go and give it a go, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to And go we're and going to own it. it. We're and going to, to own it. it. I'm going to own it. So powerful. Yeah, and
0: and just a reminder to to us and our listeners, we've all got to know what drives us, what are our first principles? What are the things that are really important and stick to them through thick and thin? And the context of this is he was a small company telling Wall Street This is how it's going to go. And in fact, he told them, I ain't going to give you the profits you want, which traditionally marks the stock price down. And he still had the conviction to go about and do it.
1: Oh, Oh, that's pretty good, isn't it? So, so forward-facing.
0: Now, Mark, you did mention that we have in fact done many Bezos uh, shows. Um, and in fact, we have covered one hundred and roughly fourteen other amazing people over the years we've been doing the show, which is just a bit mind blowing. That's playing the long game right there. <laughs> um, now, if our listeners want to go and dive into some of the back catalogue, into as you called it, the Moonshots Library, nonetheless. Um, Hey,
1: where do they go? Where do they find these goodies? Well, our listeners, you can navigate over to www.moonshots.io to find our full catalog, library, uh, safe, you know, a huge amount of uh, 116 today episodes of innovators, authors, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders that we've dug into. Mm. www.moonshots.io. I would invite you to check out our uh, transcriptions, all of our show notes, all of our mantras. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, pop along to Apple Podcast or your preferred podcasting app of choice and leave us a little review. Because, Mike, we like spreading the word of moonshots, don't we? We like hearing from all of our listeners around the world. And fundamentally, it's only when our listeners share once they... Interact with or once they rate, give us a rating or review. Does that uh, that algorithm kick in and start spreading the moonshots lessons around the world?
0: That's right. I mean, look, Mark. There's really two reasons that we want everybody to give our show a rating or a review, uh, a heart, a like. Um, first of all, all of the main podcast players. The more that you like, rate, review. Um, and share the show, the more they recommend it to others. And it's really important because for us, we're on a mission to learn out loud. And we believe that, you know, going for a moonshot or being the best version of yourself is something that means a lot. And we think a lot of people uh, in the world are trying to be the best version of themselves. So we hope that every day this show gives someone something to help them along on that journey for a little extra 1% boost. But also, Mark, look, our users have the coolest user names on the planet, Um, and we're looking for some inspiration because we know we have a ton of listeners um, coming in from all four corners of the world. I mean, right now it's Battle of Eastern Europe to be top of the charts because Bulgaria, Lithuania, uh, Czechoslovakia, Poland. Are all fighting it out to get us to actually number one on the business podcast uh, charts. It's phenomenal. So, thank you. We love you, Bulgaria, Lithuania, Uh, Czech, uh, Poland, guys, girls. Thank you. We really appreciate having so many listeners in the world. So, give us a thumbs up, a rating, a review, because frankly, we just want to see the coolest user names, the user handles. On the Planet True, Moonshotters, get in there and go for it. We would appreciate it a lot. Okay, Mark, time for us to delve more into the inside of Amazon, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes, much like we love hearing from our listeners for Jeff and Amazon and all of the work that he's done that's pivotal um, to landscape around us, he also focuses on people. So now we're going to hear from um, our Mr. Professor G, again, Mr. Scott Galloway, about how Bezos really inspires us when actually conducting and creating work internally. So this first clip, Mike, that is just a fantastic one. This is really, really great.
2: This is all about how Jeff Bezos created the six pager. Plenty of big time CEOs appear to take pride in being difficult to work for, and they let less visionary people worry about the details. Bezos made building his team a top priority and was as innovative internally as he was externally to his consumers. His most famous internal innovation was the ban on PowerPoint decks and in their place, the six pager, a written memo that was required of any proposal to be read front to back at the outset of meetings. I love that. The written word is a lost art. It demands a certain level of discipline and clarity around your thinking. Bezos developed a core set of what he called leadership principles. And every Amazon manager is trained to use them to tackle every issue from billion dollar bets to organizing their holiday party. Is it a little bit of a cult? Absolutely, and guess where the word culture comes from? Overall, executive turnover at Amazon has been estimated at 2% compared to an average of 15% for other high growth companies and 24% for Snap and 27% for Tesla. That's right. That's right. Snap and Tesla lose the same proportion of employees every two weeks as Amazon loses in a year. Oh,
0: I didn't know that Amazon's turnover was so low. In inverse, I'm
1: shocked to hear that Tesla's losing a quarter of its workforce. The annual turnover. That's insane. Is isn't that enormous? Think about the amount of time a business goes through the stages of hiring, onboarding, training, communicating with a new hire, and to lose a quarter, a year. I know. Think of all that wasted time where, conversely, Amazon only lose 2%. I
0: know. Really, really, really stark contrast there. But once again, the capacity to go against uh, the trend where every company is like drowning in these epic PowerPoint slides, he's like, no, you know what, I'll ban that. you got to have the six-pager. And you know what they all do is they all have to sit around the table and read it together at the same time, hmm. which is a nice little practice where everybody is really getting, I mean, talk about getting people aligned. Mike, I think, you know, what we're learning here is that I'm going to take a guess that Jeff's like, I think when you're forced to write a proper narrative from start to finish in a proper document, right, rather than a jazzy slide presentation, the thinking needs to be good. I think the the presentation can kind of cover and hide some glaring inadequacies of the thinking if you've got the latest fonts and icons and stock photography. I think a six-pager, I mean, you got to know what you're talking about in a six-pager, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's similar, Mike, to when we have discussed on the Moonshot podcast before the value of creating a skeleton deck you know, or, a, or a white pager because if you can condense everything onto maybe even just one page or maybe more and, and really focus on that content, that's going to be where the magic happens, isn't it? That's where the original thinking as well as the logistical how-to exists. And mm. can avoid those, like you say, fancy fonts, transitions, PowerPoint, uh, death by PowerPoint, then <laughs> then, then, even better. But, but I would take it one step further, actually, Mike. I believe that this is quite similar to uh, what Cal Newport was really digging into. Oh, yeah, to, you know, to yeah, yeah. Detoxing. Once yeah, you turn off condition. the monitors, turn off the laptops, put away the mobile phones, and instead, with this clip, you're just focusing on six pages maybe it's printed, whatever it might be. You're suddenly removing um, distractions. Oh, I can't find the right cable to plug in the computer. Oh no, why (laughs) isn't the mouse responding and why can't I click to the next slide? Get rid of all that and focus on the actual here and now. Let's get all of those individuals in the room. They've all made time in their schedules. Let's use that efficiently. Mm. Get down into into the guts of it. Let's really focus on the core information from that six pager by stripping out all those distractions.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I think why this matters is I think a lot of companies make bad decisions because the initial thinking is not great. There's not a real analysis of the data, the problem. What do we learn from that? What could we benchmark as our options? Well, let's weigh up the pros and cons of the options. I think you know we're far more scrappier and reactive than that. And what I love about this is this is a device that we can all use to think better because I am absolutely convinced writing is a way of making yourself think better. I think it forces you to go, you know, I often read things, Mark, that I write at first go, and, I, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of it, but it's not exactly what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And it's those moments where you're like, oh, it's not exactly what I said. What am I trying to say? Once you hit that space where you're like, "Mm, I'm trying to make a connection between this and this other thing because that's where the value is, but I haven't really said that. So the the act of making those connections, creating a a series of critical thoughts, a, a sense of logic, here's the data, here's what we can learn about the data. This presents us with opportunities. Here I weigh up the opportunities, therefore I recommend option B. I think the the journey of writing that down before you discuss it is so good because like anything, once you've written it all down and gone through sometimes that gut-wrenching process of, oh, it's not quite what I want to say, once you're on the other side of that, you've sort of mastered the idea. You sort of know it. You've gone through this, this inception process where you've onboarded the thinking. And this is a great device for us all to think better. So what do you think, Mark? I mean, if, if, if you were going to propose something radical, could you use the six-pager? I mean, how would you do it?
1: Well, I tell you what, it all starts with getting my own mindset correct. Or, sorry, maybe the, a better word would be my own motivation and approach correct. And I think that really starts with personal development mm-hmm. of an example that, that would be journaling. Yeah, you know, it's, totally. it's, it's exactly, we've spoken about it a number of times on the, on uh, the podcast, but once you sit down and really tackle that problem, whether it's work or whether it's a six pager or whether it's just something that you're, you're dealing with personally in your personal life, scribbling it down, writing it out, enunciating it, putting it into physical beings, mm. maybe naming the beasts. That's another frame mm. that we've, uh, we've referenced before. That, that helps you work out the problem. So that's where I would start, Mike. I would start by naming it, accepting it, trying to figure out how I feel about it by mm. writing it down. And then using that same method, putting it into a, maybe it's a team-facing brief. Maybe it's a team page, uh, sorry, team-facing note or maybe it's next steps, whatever it might be. I I, I totally agree with where you're coming from, which is by building something because you've got a white page in front of you, by building something from the ground up and writing in a way that makes sense to you, you're going to have a better chance at making it make sense for others.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the better your thinking is, you'll probably get a few suggestions in the meeting that make your thinking even better, right? Collaboration. And that it brings is- us, that brings us to another big Bezos uh, thing, which is surrounding yourself with brilliant people. And, uh, we've got another clip right now. And, um, you know, it's funny because it's very easy to get carried away with the myth of the entrepreneur or the Oracle, you know, Warren Buffett, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos. But what I love here is we've got an insight into how Jeff actually thinks about people, thinks about. Team and how we can get the most out of them. So, once again, let's have a listen to Jeff Bezos.
2: What do you do, though, as a leader of a major online company, to make sure that you are in touch with people like some 19 year old in his bedroom with a computer changing profoundly so much that all the record companies want to see him? How do you stay in touch? with that kind of experimentation and that kind of uh,
3: energy? Hire smart people. And how do you go about that? If you don't hire, because yeah. you know, a single individual cannot keep in touch with the plethora of, you know, yeah. of of new things happening. So what you have to do is you have to put in place a recruiting process that attracts and retains smart talented, hardworking people who want to be a part of of your mission, whatever it is. Then then when you talk to them, when they bring out the CEO to talk to these people, what's the mission statement you tell them? First it's Earth's most customer-centric company. And we have a very, and I explain what we mean by that, because we have a very precise definition for customer-centric. It means listen, invent, and personalize. So first you have to listen to customers. Companies that don't listen to customers fail. Second. You have to invent for customers because companies that only listen to customers fail. It's not the customer's job to invent for themselves. It's our job at Amazon.com to invent things like one click and other things, like uh, like sales rank going from one to 18 million. Those kinds of things that customers really like, that's our job, not theirs, to think of that. And third is personalize. Take every individual customer and put them at the center of their own universe. And then, w- when we talk about Earth's most customer-centric company, we mean that in a very broad way. This is bigger than Amazon economy. What we want to do is sort of uplift the worldwide standards for customer service and customer centricity. So this is sort of like Sony. Sony, sort of born right after World War II, is a company that set out, if you go and look at their early mission statement, it was not to be known for quality. It was to make Japan known for quality not Sony Japan and that's sort of what we want to do we want to do something bigger than amazon.com to make what would define it for me it would be that, the, that, that we set a new example for customer service and customer centricity that other companies look at admire and want to emulate and that is a mission that people can get excited about
1: Oh, I tell you what, I'm excited by that. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Isn't that a great snapshot into the mind of Jeff Bezos? You can imagine him, again, going back to your reading of the, uh, the 1997 statement. Again, this is Jeff demonstrating to us that he is all about the long term. He's creating Earth's most customer-centric company. He doesn't mind that it's got to be broad. He's not necessarily saying Amazon.com is going to be the answer. Instead, it's the entire plethora of business units and elements and verticals. And, but where I think the real kicker is, Mike, is that end bit. He wants to set an example for others to follow him. He wants other mm. companies, uh, maybe even governments, as we've heard about the minimum wage, to be inspired to take, uh, so, so to speak, a leaf out of... Uh, the Amazon book, <laughs> and follow that. Go out and be more customer-centric. Go out and create a better product for those customer individuals. I think that is such a powerful demonstration of why Jeff Bezos. To be honest, we kind of take him for granted. We know he's the richest man in the world. We know his business, and he, we, our businesses. But actually, I, for me at least, I sometimes forget just how pivotal and Direct a lot of his work can be in affecting me as well as those things around me. Mm. Had you heard that Sony story before? I, I love that Sony story. I haven't actually.
0: I hadn't heard isn't it. Isn't it Isn't it fascinating? Because what what I sensed as he was saying, I want to uplift standards for customer service, just like Sony did for quality, and they started out for Japan. All of a sudden, as I listened to that, the vision really captured me. I was like. Whoa, that is—I mean—that's when you and I were like applying for, for jobs in book distribution center. <laughs> we're like, yeah, come on, I'm with that. Yeah. yeah, wasn't that wasn't that the the real term? Because it, it, the sense of the scale of their vision was just like
1: whoa, when you suddenly appreciate, and and perhaps this was one of Bezos's greatest achievements as Amazon CEO is to not necessarily show where they were going to end up, you know, because of the the desire to experiment, the desire to occasionally fail, but always to stay bold and, and, and mm. try new things, while simultaneously having an eye on the future and having an eye on, okay, well, this is where the market's going to go and this is why we are doing it. We've started yeah. with our why, our mission statement. It was actually to create a business that has an unfathomable effect on Mm -hmm. us, on consumerism, on the the lifestyles of of many, many of us. Uh,
0: Customer service levels. I mean, mean, you know, delivery, they have totally defined our expectations about when things should be delivered. I mean, they are the standard to which everybody else is scrambling to keep up and i think it's a reminder of how important vision is if you really want to have do something that's meaningful and have impact in the world you've got to be in tune you've got to live this vision and purpose just like we heard from from jeff and you will set the standard in whatever game you're playing i think i think it's a it's very instructional to see and you can just tell the way he's explaining that i mean that's not some sales speech like He's, he's really in it um, and, and, and such a great way for us to kind of put a bookend on how he thinks about sharing the vision internally, how they write the six pages to get their thinking right. These are all the things that we can learn from, but also I think, Mark, you, myself, all of our listeners, we can do them too. We can write a six-pager, just do it. We can hire smart people just do it we can wait for this have a bold and audacious vision that's far beyond our company but setting a new standard in whatever game we play I mean this stuff is is powerful but we have one one last little zap of energy from Jeff Bezos don't we
1: we do and exactly to your point Mike we all have the capability to be bold to go out and create something new and to have that vision and we've all Just gotta go and experiment. But one final lesson that we can learn from Mr. Bezos, as our closing clip, Mike, is the fact that everything comes with overheads.
3: People have very high standards how they want their work life to be. And I said, look, if you can get your work life to be where you enjoy half of it, that is amazing. Because very few people ever achieve that. Because the truth is, everything comes with overhead. That's reality. Everything comes with pieces that you don't like. You could be a Supreme Court justice, and there's still gonna be pieces of your job you don't like. Every job comes with pieces you don't like. And we need to say, that's part of it. You have to figure out how to set up your life in such a way that you can minimize the things. And I find people don't dislike hard work. What people dislike is being um, out of control. Like they can't control their life. They can't control their environment. This happens to me when I get over scheduled. I hate being over scheduled. I want some time to be able to think and free myself. We all have the same amount of time in the world. Nobody has more time than anybody else. And when you become a very successful person, one of the things you start to get over-scheduled. So a young person starting their career, I think there are probably a lot of things. Some of them are very well-known and people have heard them many times, they're still true. One of those that you should always focus on, a young person should find something that they're passionate about to do. And that's not gonna surprise anyone. It's, It's a clear thing to do, it's very hard. If you don't love your work, you're never gonna be great at it. The other thing I would suggest to uh, any young person, uh, even before they start their career, is to really think about their choices, because I find young people, and I, I when I was young, I had I made this mistake too. You can get very fixed on your gifts. So everybody has gifts. You know, you you have gifts, and you have things that you didn't get gifted. Maybe you're extremely beautiful, maybe you're extremely good at mathematics, maybe you, there are a lot of things that you can be given, but those things can confuse you because they're not the things that construct your life, it's your choices that construct your life, not your gifts. You can celebrate your gifts, be proud of them, be happy of them. Actually, don't be proud of them be celebratory of them, but you can't be proud because they're gifts, they were given to you, you didn't earn them. You can only be proud of the things you earn. And so, as I got older I started to realize I wasn't proud of my gifts. I was always good at school, school was always easy for me, and I was always proud that I was a great student. I got A's in all my classes, I was good at math, all of that. And I thought, I thought that's who I was, but it's not true. Those are the things that are gifts. What was hard for me is deciding to work hard, deciding to use my gifts in certain ways, to challenge myself, to uh, do things that I didn't think I could do, to put myself in uncomfortable situations. We all get, I would say to a young person, you can choose a life of ease and comfort, or you can choose a life of service and adventure. Which one of those, when you're 90 years old, are you gonna be more proud of?
0: Jeff bringing it home, serenaded by a lovely piano uh, background ambience. Um, Mark, that was that was pretty awesome to hear. Somebody who's also got all this great thinking about opportunities, uh, innovation, and failure, writing the six pager, hiring smart people. In the end, you can hear that he made a choice for hard work, and I thought that was very. Very
1: powerful. Yeah, it, it's a great bookend for the for the end of the show, um, as well as for Jeff Bezos. The reason why he's he's a feature within our leadership series, Mike, uh, because he's calling out, "Hey, look, things are hard. You're not necessarily going to be given an opportunity on a on a silver platter. You're not necessarily going to be able to roll out of bed and, you know, find that life is easy every single day, each day." May present a new challenge, mm. and and much like Tom Brady with the concept of evolving every day, and much like the Ron Holiday series, where we're embracing obstacles, much like many many of our other Moon, uh, moon mm. projects, such as Joe mm. Rogan, this discomfort, this um, ability to uh, notice but cope with moments that you don't really enjoy. <laughs> are those times when you're going to get the most out of it? You're going to become more resilient. You're going to become yes. that much better.
0: He's given us a lesson in be just be ready to fail and for it to be hard and a bit uncomfortable, hasn't he? It's it's been quite, quite refreshing there.
1: Yeah, I, I actually quite like that final clip because it reminds us you get out of it what you put in. Mm. You can choose how much you're going to be motivated today. Of
0: course. If you're in. Of control- course. Wow, Mark. So we did uh, another chapter in our Jeff Bezos adventure and it's been, uh, it's been a blast, hasn't it? Um, what, what thought uh, are you um, going to have top of mind when we finish the show? What do you think is going to sit with you more than anything else?
1: I want to be inspired um, by Jeff and think about the long game. I want to think about embracing right now and saying, it's okay what happens in the future. Let's focus on creating the best value. Let's invest now in order to get that, uh, that payoff down the long term. Let's see what happens down the road and just enjoy that journey.
0: You choose for the weighing machine by the sounds of it.
1: I choose for the weighing machine.
0: Very good. Very good. Thank you to you, Mark. It's been great to come back to Jeff Bezos as he has uh, recently resigned from Amazon, but has started a whole new chapter of his life. And so far, he's created a company worth $1.6 trillion, the second biggest employer in the USA. And he's done all of this in maybe just half a lifetime. And I want to take the moment to thank all of you, our listeners. Plough us, share with us your feedback, your views, your thoughts, your comments and ideas because we hope that today in exploring Jeff Bezos that we have inspired you so we would love you to inspire us and our journey in Jeff Bezos today started with the clarity of thought, thoughts to go out and find the biggest opportunities, the biggest problems to solve in the world. And if you go after those, you need to be willing to fail. It's part of the game. You need to play a long-term point of view. You need to be choosing for the weighing machine to create value. And the way we do that is we think deeply. We write the six pages and we surround ourselves with smart people and we go out in the world to set the standard. Yes, Moonshotters, you can do this too. And if you make these choices, you have to know that it will not be perfect and there will always be overhead, even when we're doing the things that we truly choose for. But every single day, you have a choice. So what we learned from Jeff Bezos is to make good choices. Choose for hard work, for challenge and for service to others. And if you do this, you can go out in the world. Not only can you be the best version of yourself, but you will indeed have a good life. All right, that's it for the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.